Welcome to Bible study. This is Len. This week we are studying about interceding for others under the general topic of making friends with God. We're glad you've joined us today and I'd like to introduce our panel. First of all, Brenton. Thank you, Len. It's a pleasure to be here and to be able to share God's word and we trust that we will really learn something today about interceding for others. And then Helen. Lovely to see each one of you uh, on the panel and uh, to know the listeners are listening, and it is such a privilege to be sharing today. And Lydia. Yes, I feel very, very privileged to be here today, and I thank God with all my heart. And also Nick, who's been able to be with us. So welcome today, Nick. Thank you, Len. Good to be here. And our most capable uh, leader of this discussion is going to be Will. So welcome today, Will, and over to you. Thank you, Len, and uh, I'd like to say that you're also uh, a great part of this uh, panel. We appreciate having you here as well. Listeners, there's always a spark of hope uh, in a worldwide pandemic when our news media announce a breakthrough in the quest of a vaccine. The good news of the development of a drug offering a cure for the rampant infection we're confronted with. It doesn't take long, however, before we learn that several countries are trying to secure for themselves the entire stock of the vaccine as a protection. And uh, this understandably leaves the rest of us questioning that we might become, what might become of the less fortunate countries and population groups also needing access to a cure. We all would cringe at the idea that some could have a massive advantage over others and would call for everyone to have an equal opportunity for life and hope. Such an offer should be open to all mankind. When it comes to the prospect of a vastly better life, life in eternity, our response should be no less enthusiastic. One thing is very clear of our God he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and that all should inherit the much more abundant life. You know, our wish as Christians should be most decidedly the same. Life eternal for everyone. And that means everyone. It's a desire like this that should drive our prayer life. Our approach to God in prayer should include a desire a passion for the salvation of others and lead us to intercede with heaven uh, for them. Hence the topic of our study today, interceding for others. But before we start, let's ask Brenton to pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that we do have an intercessor, one Jesus Christ, our high priest who intercedes for us right now in heaven. Today we are going to share the good news of the word of interceding for others and what it does for us as a Christian and what it does for those who are seeking to know you as Lord and Saviour and be saved in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray earnestly for your Holy Spirit to speak through us as a panel today to our listeners that we may see that intercession is the principle, the very principle of heaven and that we, as sharers in the glory that is yet to come, have the privilege 
of interceding for others here on this earth, this very dark and gloomy place. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us the opportunity of interceding for others. May we learn your will for us today, and may we be willing to follow it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. We all know that God faithfully listens to all of our intercessions. I'd like us to read a text in James 5, verse 16. And Lydia, would you do that for us, please? Yes, in James 5, 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So we are advised here that to share our burdens and our problems, our struggles, the battle with sin, and to ask others also to pray with us to become victorious in everything. This is a very good advice of intercessory prayer to pray for one another. Well, you know, there's more than just a benefit to another person. There's a benefit to those who do the interceding for others. Because God works in our hearts to draw us closer to him as we try to help other people. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, there is a statement about asking God. And it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and that shall be given to him. Now, when I was about 12, I asked God if I could take our tractor to heaven because I love driving it. There's something else missing here, and I want to point this out. I want to read you two other texts. Now, many of you would know Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, and it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who finds, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So, was I right then to ask to take the tractor to heaven? Well, let me finish this off with another text. It's from 1 John chapter 5 and verses 14 to 16. Now, here is the key point. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that's God, God, that if we ask anything, now here's the bit, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. And then there's something that says there is a sin leading to death. I did not say that he should pray about that. Now, I want to do this backwards. What is this sin that people may commit that we shouldn't even pray about? Well, I believe this is what's called the unforgivable sin when that person has totally rejected God. There have been many times when God has tried to reach that person but they've rejected him, rejected him, rejected him to the point where they will never, ever accept the grace that he offers. So this asking has to be according to his will. 
and I doubt me taking the track to heaven was according to his will. But when I pray for my neighbour who's sick, then God will accept that prayer. Yes, thank you, Len. You know, when the apostles, uh, after Jesus was resurrected, with the commission to take the good news to the entire world, those apostles might have believed that uh, as soon as the gospel was taken to the entire world and that every soul was reached with the good news, that Jesus would come. And I guess that they might have thought that it would be right there in their own lifetime. And so with this passion, with this urgency uh, to work for others and to tell them about Jesus, the early church, those apostles, sought every help that they could to do it. And um, how did they really start? What was the um, go point for them, uh, Brenton? They started, um, first of all, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And we haven't got time, Will, to uh, share everything that's in Acts chapter 2, but I would encourage our readers to read that chapter for themselves. It seems to me that uh, this comment fits perfectly uh, their mindset. The disciples did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. They realised that the gospel was to be carried to the world and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. Now, that power was poured out on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were baptised. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it gives you a different context, but still talking about interceding for others. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Uh, panel, when we look at the preceding verses there, we find something really interesting. Their prayer begins in verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Their desire to witness, their desire to intercede for others was based on their recognition that God was the creator. Now, this terminology was also used by uh, Paul in Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 17, where he starts his speech to people in the main who were not Christians or even believers in the true God. It always started with the recognition of God as the creator. Now that they're interceding, they quote Psalm 2 in verse 25. And what's interesting, Will, I find is this. Down in verse 31, the text that I read, they simply prayed that God would give them the power, the authority, and the confidence to witness for him. They did not pray for deliverance from persecution because this whole chapter is couched in persecution language. Peter and John have been brought before the Sanhedrin and asked why are they proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ to all these people. And they're now saying, Lord, listen to their threats. Listen to what they're saying to us. Is there a message for us today there? I believe there is. I believe that the more persecution that comes, the stronger should be our desire to witness for God. The stronger should be our desire to intercede for others. Yes, thank you. Pendle, what do you think? Uh, was it easy going for them at all after that? No, it wasn't because tradition tells us that what happened to the uh, apostles wasn't very nice. 
The only one who died a natural death was the Apostle John. All the rest were killed at the hands of others. It was not easy going. Mm-hmm. However, they were um, filled with zeal and enthusiasm because they expected Jesus to come back and because he gave them the commission to go and preach the gospel in all the world. Yes, Helen. Yeah, just just a note that when they, they said there and when they had prayed, I found that interesting, the fact that um, last week's lesson we talked about um, blooming where we're planted, you know, and when we, start, yeah. when we think about prayer, that's a starting point. I think your question was how did they start, and, and I believe that Brendan covered that well. Um, we need to start with prayer, and through prayer we can become bolder in the smaller things, and then gradually as we are faithful in the small things, Christ will give us more responsibility. But in our praying according to his will, he certainly will give us that power and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. How easy it would have been if there wasn't uh, some unseen forces working against and uh, the devil seems to, and his angels, the evil forces of this world, um, seem to really want to hedge in the effect of our prayers and our work on behalf of others for, uh, for salvation. Um, today we are studying about prayer for the salvation of others. But let me ask, uh, panel, is it fair to propose that most of us are almost totally unaware of a conflict that surrounds us, yes, unseen by human eyes, in the battle between good and evil forces over everyone for whom we pray. I believe that most people in this world are not aware of that battle that's going on. If they were aware of it, um, they would realise that the a lot of the oh, they would realise the evilness in this world that there is another power that's uh, fighting for supremacy. And I think part of our our um, our prayers should be that they are enlightened, and we too need to remember and be enlightened about this battle between good and evil forces. If I could just add uh, there, not that people today uh, are not um, seeing around, you know, the devastating uh, effects of uh, sin and the battle in between good and evil. I believe uh, almost everyone, every person on this earth will see some of that uh, effect in their lives or some of their loved ones. But uh, what I believe the misunderstanding is that um, majority wouldn't know that this conflict started in heaven and then it come on this earth and now we may not see the actually the cunning way of the devil, the enemy, to really press on, on every human being to give up. And that's probably the most uh, important thing. We are aware of the things going on wrong in this world, but we don't understand that we have to fight against the principalities, you know, the uh, spirits, the demons, and all those things which in Revelation 12 also um, describes. Yes. Lenny. One of my golfing buddies said to me one day after yet another worldwide or uh, world catastrophe, he said, what's the world coming to? So there are many people who are aware 
that there's something going on, but they don't know what's going on and what's behind it. And I believe the Bible gives us the answer. Brenton? I I believe that this battle is, the more you try and work for others, Will and panel, I believe the, the, the more you try and help them to know Jesus, the more you realise the pushback. Those of us who have worked with other people and tried to help them to know Jesus, you can bet on one thing. When the person is starting to open their heart to the moving of the Holy Spirit and starting to um, say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, you can automatically guarantee that there will be pushback by the devil. He will arrange things. Often his best work is done through other people, whether it's friends or family or whatever. People who have influence or influences upon this person, he will use those circumstances to try and turn this person away from uh, what they're discovering or more specifically try and discourage them so that they think it's all too hard. And uh, I, I think the closer we come to the second coming of Jesus, the more intense this battle is going to be. Mm, true. I think heaven comes to our rescue, however, because we are absolutely hopeless against the powerful forces that surround us. And I'm grateful that heaven sends uh, mighty angels to contend for us uh, in this great struggle. I know that... Um, Ephesians 6 verse 12 uh, indicates that uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I think that uh, most folk don't really realize there is this enormous invisible struggle happening around them. All may seem peaceably, peaceable around them, but they don't know that there is such a struggle on behalf of uh, the, of, for them themselves and for the people for whom they pray during this struggle. Well, I think there's something important here. Verse 13 is equally important. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God. Yes. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This terminology is taken from battle speeches. You can find a, um, shall we say, a sequel to it or a, another thing to it in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 2 to 4, where Moses talked to the Israelites before his death about when they entered the promised land and they went out to battle against their enemy, they were to stand firm. They were to trust in the Lord. Do you know what took place before they went to battle? The priest was to go and address the army. And he was to say to be strong and to trust the Lord because the Lord will fight the battle for you. In Ephesians 6, in effect, if you have on the whole armour of God, you are impregnable to the uh, assaults of the evil one. And I think this is something, Will, that we need to share with people more and more. Each day of our lives, each moment of each day, we need to have on this armour of God. This armour of God is the only defence we have against the powers of the evil one. That's right. You know, uh, Brenton, I couldn't but help thinking while you were speaking of Elisha's servant, yes. um, Gehazi. Uh, he was not aware at all that there were unseen forces that uh, contend on our behalf. And um, Elisha asked uh, for his eyes to be opened 
And what did he see? He saw a whole massive army of angels that were willing to fight for them. I I think that most of us don't realize that um, there is much contention over every single soul. Don't think the devil is going to try and will allow any single soul to be given up from the powers of darkness to eternal life without a contention or without a struggle. Uh, If I could uh, also intervene, um, well, you know, there are two types of intercessory to understand. First of all, we have our great intercessor, Jesus Christ. If we realize, if we're coming across difficulties, you know, and our struggles, you know, with our sinful nature, with everything, whatever we experience, we need to go to Jesus. He's our intercessor. And he will back us up, if you like. He will fight aside of each one of us. But there is another type of intercessory prayer. And we are called here to play a role. We are called to work together with the the hosts of heaven for the salvation of those people who don't know Jesus Christ. And this is very important because now I can pray for somebody who doesn't know God and then God will intervene. And I like how somebody illustrated this point um, to me one time. When we pray for somebody, Satan straight away will uh, react and say, leave him alone. He gave allegiance to me. He's mine. He's doing my will. And when we pray for that person, Satan will accuse God and say, leave him alone. But God can just answer in this way. I'm just coming here to answer a prayer. I'm just coming to answer a prayer request. You see, God will not be accused that he's taking away from the enemy, from Satan, who belongs to him. Because God will answer a prayer of the person who interceded for his neighbor. And I think this is the beauty of our role in the salvation of, uh, of people. So true, so true. You know, I sometimes wonder what it would be like for me if God had to take my glasses off and put on other glasses where I could see spiritual forces around us. You know, uh, panel and listener, I think this would change my entire prayer life. To know that there is a contention, there is a struggle, there is a tug of war over every single person. And the knowledge of this controversy, this struggle, this war going on around us, has got to impact our prayers, not only for ourselves and for our families, but uh, others. Um, Helen, uh, you're going to comment. First of all, I'd like to say, I just think it's just beautiful what uh, Nick just shared that, um, you know, God is answering prayer. And I guess that answers a question that many people ask me, and that is why do we pray anyway? Mm-hmm. And what good is intercessory prayer? So thank you, Nick, for sharing that. That was just, you know, an eye-opener. And and isn't it a beautiful thought to think that as we pray that God immediately sends his angels. He hears every single prayer that we pray, and he's fighting the, the great controversy on our behalf. And that should give us, when we pray in the will of God, that should give us that assurance that God wants to answer the prayers. You know, the Bible lifts the veil between the seen and the unseen world. There is a struggle between good and evil, between the forces of righteousness and the forces of darkness, between Christ and Satan. 
And in this, it is a cosmic conflict. And in this cosmic conflict, God respects human freedom. He will never manipulate the will or coerce the conscience. I think that's just beautiful when you think about it. Satan forces. He will do anything to trip you up, to uh, distract you, to put doubt in your mind, discouragement, um, even procrastination about making a decision to follow God. But God does not take away your human freedom. He allows you to make the choice. And, you know, he sends his Holy Spirit. And we might remember in John 16, if I may share, John 16, 7 and 8, and um, here we read that, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. This was Jesus saying this, um, because if I don't, the comforter won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. That to me is a wonderful promise that, that God gave us, you know, that he would send another comforter that would be there to help us and to convict us. But, you know, heavenly angels enter that battle to influence people for eternity. And Hebrews 1.14 tells me, if I may read again from the New Living Translation, it says, therefore angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Yes. And, and I think that's just beautiful when you think about it. Angels are God's messengers, spiritual beings created by God and under his authority, you know. And let me just say, I remember a time when uh, my husband was dying, and I've shared this, I think, before, but let me quickly share it if I may. And um, he collapsed on the toilet one day, and he fell between the door and the toilet. And my youngest daughter, Cherie, was staying with us at the time. And uh, I heard the bang and I went to investigate and he was, you know, just like a dead weight, literally. And um, I called her and she came and we tried to lift him up and both of us together could not lift him up. And she looked at me and said, what are you going to do? And I said, the only thing I know to do is to pray. And I stepped back and I wasn't touching my husband or my stepdaughter and I stepped back and I was praying. And then as I was praying, I heard movement and I opened my eyes and she had put one arm through my husband's arm and lifted him up. But he came up straight. He didn't come up on an angle as one would expect with one person helping. And I said to her, I said, how did you do that? And she said, did you not see him? I said, who? She said, the angel on the other side of dad. And mm -hmm. I just was absolutely blown away. She saw that angel who helped. Now, there is, I have no doubt in my mind that God sent an angel because there is just no way that she could have lifted him on her own. And that reminds me that as soon as we pray according to God's will, the angels are ready to do God's bidding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God will arrange providential events in people's lives to lead them to himself. Yes. So when we start to doubt, perhaps, you know, there might be something providentially that God puts across our path and it's it's the means for us to pray to him but also to come closer. As Len said at the beginning, when we intercede prayer for other people, we are also blessed. Yes. You know, I spoke to a despairing mother quite recently about a, about a son who was struggling with alcoholism and no approach to him. Uh, really worked. She appealed to him to uh, put his life in order, as only a mother would. And um, she was despairing that he's did, he didn't want to change his life. And then she said something interesting. She said, I have been praying for my son for 
weeks and months now. Now I've despaired to the extent that I'm just handing him over to God. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm leaving him in God's hands. And I thought about that, whether all of our prayers, continued prayers, make any difference in the conflict waging between these mighty forces in someone else's life. What do you think, panel? Do we just hand them over to God, or do we really persist in praying? Len? Well, I believe in persisting in praying. I've been praying for some for many, many years, but I would just like to point this out. I've wondered sometimes what moves the arm of God, and I believe the answer is what we are currently talking about, prayer. I believe that God is willing and sometimes he doesn't require anybody to uh, move his arm, so to speak, but I'd like to use a couple of analogies. I believe prayer is the match that lights the fire. I believe that prayer is like the switch that turns on the power. I believe that prayer is the starter motor on the engine, that it is the means by which God will do certain things which he probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Interesting, yes. Ledger. When we pray the intercessory prayer for others, we may not see any results, but God is working in small steps with the person. And we, we all know that God honors our commitment to him and our dependence on him by employing the all the resources of heaven to transform human lives. So even if God doesn't uh, show us his glory in one miracle of answers to prayers, we all know that the entire heavenly hosts are working in responding to our prayers. And I have so many answers to my prayers, but I still have quite few which I don't see any answers to prayers that I, but I'm sure that God has an answer there, but in His time, not in our time. Yes. Helen. I'd like to just come back to the great controversy, if I may, between good and evil that I have seen personally in my life. Prayer makes such a big difference. I recall a lass who was taken over by Satan and uh, even her voice was changed and it was early in the hours of the morning she stood at the end of my bed and um, well, I think it was about one, one o'clock and I woke up to find her standing there staring at me and I said to her, what do you want? And um, she didn't say anything to start with and I said, you're in the wrong bedroom and I didn't really know what was happening and I I started praying immediately and because I've had, um, I've had scenes of that before. So I took her to a bed and settled her down and I went back to bed and it wasn't very long before she came back again. And this time there was this horrendous noise that came from her and what have you. And I picked up the phone next to my bed and I rang my sister-in-law and brother in Queensland. Remember, this was one, this, by this time it was one thirty in the morning. And I said, need prayers. I said, there is a great controversy going in right now, going on right now in my bedroom with this young lady. 
And I said, we need to pray earnestly. And they in turn got out of bed and they rang their minister and they set off a prayer chain. And I saw that it worked so powerfully on this girl's behalf that eventually, yes, um, she was uh, released from the, the evil power. She slept very well. And the next day she was in her right senses, which she hadn't been for several months. God is powerful. And I do believe that prayer makes a very big difference. Brendan? Well, there's an interesting principle here that um, I think perhaps we're forgetting. We say Christ is our intercessor in heaven, and he is. Uh, I want to refer to Christ's life on earth. We're told that he was frequently found in prayer all night. Now, amongst the prayers that he would have been praying, not only for himself, but also for an ability to be able to reveal our loving Heavenly Father to us, he would have also been praying, and I think we tend to overlook this, he would have been praying for everyone. He would have been praying for the Jewish leaders who, who dogged him day by day and um, tried to find ways of destroying him at every opportunity. Lydia brought up an interesting point that you, um, you pray for people and sometimes you don't see any answers. Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Can I suggest in regard to prayer, as humbly as I possibly can, we are to pray for people. We are to be specific about what we're praying for for them. It's for their salvation. The end result is left to the Lord. And it's interesting that there was a comment I read that I'm going to share with you. It says this, the prayer of faith is never lost. But to claim that it will always be answered in the very way and for the particular thing we have expected is presumption. I found that a very, very interesting and challenging text, uh, Will and panel. And I believe that when we do pray for others, we need to be intelligent as to what we believe their needs are. And if there are other needs that they have, and no doubt there are, that we don't know about, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us other needs that they have that we can also pray for as well. I think that's part of intercessory prayer. Yes. Lydia? As our prayers ascend to God's throne, angelic beings spring into action at his command and ministering angels are waiting about the throne to instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ to answer every prayer offered in earnest living faith. And not one sincere prayer is ever lost. Yes, oh, that's, that's an encouragement. You know, Brenton, you indicated that Jesus is the real example with regard to prayer. There is no mighty intercessor quite like Jesus. Never in history has anyone prayed more, interceded more persistently uh, for others uh, than our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's um, take a look quickly what the Bible says about his prayer life. Ledger, would you like to read for us Luke chapter 3, verse 21? When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying. Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. We observe here that Jesus prayed straight away after he was lifting himself up from the water. 
and there is another verse pretty similar with the, with the other one in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, But Jesus often would withdraw to lonely places and pray. We all know that Jesus' life was one of constant divine communion with his father since he was young and till his death. And he spent alone with God in prayer so many times. He withdrew himself from the crowds to pray, even when he had busy life, hectic activities in his life. He went out into a solitary place and there played, it says in Mark. And I would like to mention that there are something specific of Jesus' prayer. First of all, I observed in Mark, Mark Gospel and in Luke, that he had a time to pray. He allocated a time to pray. And second, he had a place to pray. So he has, he had a special favorite place where he prayed. And, uh, it was a spot when he could commune with the father away from, uh, his activities of the crowds. And the third one was that Jesus' secret prayers were not necessarily silent prayers. His uh, disciples often heard him praying loud. And on one occasion, one disciple heard Jesus Christ praying loud, and he was so moved by his personal prayers that they requested that he teach them to pray. It says in Luke 11, verse 1. So uh, many people are saying that praying silently in our minds, it's very appropriate because um, some people are concerned about praying out loud because they are afraid that, that Satan will hear them and know that they are praying about. But the reason that because Satan cannot read our thoughts, it, it is better to pray silently. And there is something special about praying out loud that keeps us focused. Uh, because when we have a time to pray in our spot prayer, and pour out our hearts to God aloud, our prayer life becomes much more meaningful. So we don't have to worry about Satan hearing our prayers because at the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. So Jesus also prayed for his uh, disciples by name. I remember that he prayed for Peter's, exactly mentioning his own name. So we are encouraged to fortify our prayers to God, either silently or strongly and being fortified out loud. Yes. Helen. Yeah, just one thing I'd like to mention, which Lydia mentioned, uh, Lydia mentioned earlier, that Jesus made time for prayer. You know, as some people think, oh, he had all the time in the world, but, you know, he was a very, very busy person on this earth. And, you know, sometimes we use excuses. We say, I'm too busy, or I've got this to do, that to do. And I thought about that, and I thought many things clamour for our attention, and we often run ourselves ragged attending to them. But like Jesus, however, we should take time to withdraw to a quiet and deserted place to pray. Strength comes from God, and we can only be strengthened by spending time with him as Jesus was too. Yes, Len. Jesus is our example in how to live 
And Jesus is our example in prayer. And Lydia was saying there that he prayed specifically for one of the disciples who happened to be Peter. I regard myself a bit like Peter. I'm a bit of a binary person in some ways. I'm a bit hot, a bit cold, this and that. But Jesus said this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And then comes the word that I like very much. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now we know that Simon's uh, life was a little bit up and down. He denied Jesus and later on he pretended that he was very Jewish, but he wasn't. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Simon. And I see this as so beautiful. I see this, Jesus is working in my life. He's working in our lives as a panel. He's working in the lives of other people. I want to just say one thing. Effective soul winners are men and women of prayer. I love the fact that uh, he he mentioned Peter by name. Wow, I'd love to... I'd love to think that Jesus mentions my name, um, not only on earth, but uh, that he's mentioning my name before the Father's throne. Yes, my name and your name and every listener's name individually. Uh, What a comfort it is that Jesus is actually doing that. Um, Hebrews 7.25 actually indicates that he is doing that for us, doesn't he? Uh, Len, would you like to read Hebrews 7.25 for us? Yes, it says this, Therefore, he, talking about Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, that's through prayer, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And that includes me, and I'm really glad about that. Yes. Our persistence in prayer acknowledges that uh, we recognize our total absolute dependence on God and to reach the individual for whom we are praying. And, you know, there's probably not any one of us that doesn't have somebody else, somebody dear to us or a friend on our hearts to to, to be praying for them. I, I want to perhaps just inject here a panel and listeners Is there someone that you're specifically praying for at the moment? And why is it so important never to give up, no matter how difficult the situation appears in their lives and in our own lives? you want to comment on that, Helen? Well, yes. You've asked the question, is there someone you are specifically praying for at the moment? We have a prayer group, Prayer Warriors, and, um, yeah, we have such a long list of people that we are praying for and we daily pray for these people. However, when the list gets longer and longer, you know what happens. And so we've decided that um, every week we choose under the guidance of the Holy Spirit three people on our list and we specifically, we contact them, find out what prayers they need and um, then we specifically pray those specific prayers for them. We are seeing answers to prayer, which which has just been amazing. You know, um, answers that we, we just, you sometimes think, oh, well, you know, it's never going to happen, but we keep on praying and praying. I've seen people that have been prayed for for 40 years, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit has touched them mightily. 
But, you know, I take from um, Jesus's life, he was a con- one of constant divine communion with his father. You know, we are admonished to pray continuously. And uh, our prayer group yesterday, we were actually looking at that. And we thought, how do we do that? Well, we take on spiritual food from studying. That's like our physical food. If we don't eat, we starve. And it's the same spiritually. And when we come to prayer, prayer is like breathing. You know, if we stop breathing, we die physically. If we stop praying, we die spiritually. You know, at the time of Christ's baptism, he launched into his messianic ministry and he prayed for divine power to accomplish heaven's purposes. And and the Holy Spirit came and he was empowered him to do the Father's will and accomplish the task before him, whether it was at the feeding of the 5,000 or the healing of the leper or the deliverance of the demoniacs. Jesus recognized that in the battle between good and evil, Prayer is a mighty, mighty weapon to beat back the forces of hell. Prayer is heaven-ordained. It's a way of combining our helplessness and weakness with God's omnipotent power. Think of that for a moment. We are linking into God's omnipotent power. He wants us to be co-workers with him. That's just awesome. You know, it's a means of having ourselves lifted up toward God who alone can touch the hearts of those for whom we pray. Spurgeon wrote um, way back a hundred years ago, uh, spiritually there have been many individuals given up for dead when they were still within reach of grace. God found them and took them out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay, setting their feet upon his living rock. Then he says, never give up anyone for spiritually dead until... They are laying out for dead naturally, not until the day they die. Don't assume that they are spiritually dead. I think that we need to pray. We have examples of earnest prayer, uh, not only from Jesus, but we could perhaps just touch on one or two. We have um, examples from um, the Apostle Paul as well, how he prayed for his people by name. The panel like to give any examples from um, the Apostle Paul of his praying for his the fellow believers. Just before that, uh, well, uh, as you as you mentioned about uh, the importance of prayer, isn't that not quite strange that uh, many people in the Christendom they are uh, willing to pray for people after they passed away? trying to sort out some things which they uh, they didn't uh, they haven't done it in in uh, in their lifetime this is to me how i understand prayer when you pray for other people you take the burden on yourself too it's not a mechanical prayer you are connecting with that person and because we live in this world and many times we have those conflicts among us and sometimes probably it's very hard to pray for each other. But after a person passed away, you may think, oh, I need to sort out some things, you know, and I pray for that person. How absurd that can be. You know, I wonder, could one, could one reason why new believers soon give up their faith be traced to the fact that there was too little prayer connected with their spiritual development? Like the seed that's sown, um, that before it could be, that could spring up was uh, picked up by birds or the hot sun shrivels them 
before they can grow. We find in the uh, ministry of the Apostle Paul, throughout his ministry, Paul prayed for faith to grow in the new converts in the churches that he established through his evangelistic ministry. Paul believed that something happened when he prayed that would not happen if he did not pray. Although he was separated in distance from those he loved, he recognized that they could be united in heart as they prayed for each other. One might call it prayer by remote control. The fact is, Paul really prayed a lot for others. And uh, let's read an example of that in Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 15 to 19. Legion? Yes, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. We observe here that Paul is praying for the Ephesians believers. And he prayed here that God would give them wisdom and spiritual discernment that he would enlighten their minds with divine truth and give them the hope of eternal life. He also prayed that they would experience the mighty working of God's power in their lives. Paul was praying all the time for everybody. He mentioned in his epistles many times that I pray for you. I remember about you in my prayers. I keep you close to my heart in my prayers. Mm. Uh, Brenton, uh, do you think that if you were, for example, in the Philippian church, um, when Paul wrote to them in Philippians 1, uh, verses 3 to 11, do you think that if you were a Philippian church member and received a letter like this from Paul, sharing with you that he was not only praying for you, but also the content of his prayer shares with them exactly what he's praying about. How do you think people would feel? Uh, They include promises and admonitions as well. You want to comment on uh, how he was praying for them, the Uh, Philippian church in Philippians 1? Just briefly, um, Will, yes. Philippians is an interesting epistle. Uh, 29 times in Paul's epistles, uh, the word thanksgiving is used. Nine times out of those 29, it is found in the book of Philippians. So nearly a third, or in fact over a third, of all the thanksgivings that Paul gives in his epistles are found in the book of Philippians. Rather than read the whole eight or nine verses, Will, I thought I would just touch on one or two right at the end, which I found particularly interesting. And this is my prayer for you. I'm reading from verse 9. 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, what was Christ's prayer for his disciples? His prayer was that they may be one, Father, as you and I are one, uh, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is really praying, praying a prayer very similar to what Christ prayed in the garden, where he said, Father, I ask that they may be one as you and I are one, you in me and me in them. And Paul is really repeating this here. So our prayers for others, I believe, should be twofold. They should be for their salvation. But when we're praying for people will specifically who maybe already know the Lord but are resisting the Holy Spirit, I believe one of the things we can do is pray that they may understand the magnitude of what they are resisting, that they may understand that Christ in them, the hope of glory, is what God wants to see. And I believe that's something that we should pray for others. We should tell them we are praying that Christ will be revealed in their lives. I believe that's vitally important. And this is what Paul is doing in Philippians. Yes. Of course, our prayers should make a difference in other people's lives. And our prayers, considering what we have spoken about today and the contention or the war that's around us, um, unseen, should make our prayer life and our, our commitment and our focus in prayer a very serious one. May I just say in concluding, there are several images in Scripture depicting two classes of people in the final assessment before eternity. For example, there is the example of five virgins coming back from looking for oil to the wedding feast, asking for admission, but finding that the door was shut for them. But there's another on which I would like to comment. It's Jesus' words in Matthew 25 of the shepherd separating every person that ever lived into two groups, sheep and goats. To the sheep, he says in verse 34 of Matthew 25, Come, take your inheritance, prepared for you from the creation of the world. But to the goats, he says, depart from me. And the reward of the righteous, eternal life is not given to them. They meet an end every one of us should want to avoid. You know, as I've thought about this, I've realized that among the very faces of those who will not be received into God's eternal reward, we might recognize the faces of people whom we have known and associated with, perhaps some friends, even dear family members. And this realization has troubled me in my personal life. I've wrestled with this thought in my prayers, uh, sometimes in the early hours when I've lost sleep, and wondered if I, in that last day, wouldn't have been tempted to ask the Lord to speed us back in time, back to July 2020, where we are today, to give us another chance of interceding for them, for they too, that they too might have the joy of the presence of Jesus in eternity in heaven. Surely, I should during the present time, therefore, time of opportunity, pray earnestly for my family and my friends. Perhaps become like Jesus, 
who took Perea uh, seriously. Instead of the casual, repetitious phrases without the heartfelt passion for those who do not presently choose to make Jesus first in their lives. How do you think, panel and listener, we should be more serious about praying for those others that do not know the Lord and that um, we should passionately want for them to aspire to heaven as well? What do you think, panel? Yes. I want to just, before we close today, share with you a little bit what Samuel, the prophet, said. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Now, this is put in pretty dramatic words. Samuel regarded it as a sin not to pray. And for those of you listening who are already Christians, this is a serious issue. By not praying, according to what Samuel has said, it's a sin. Well, I think we should close with prayer here, and I invite each of you to uh, to be in an attitude of prayer as we close. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've been dealing with a serious subject today, praying for the good of others. And amongst our listeners today, there are people who are praying for others. And then, of course, there are many who need prayers. And I want to uphold these people before you today. There are physical, social, mental needs. But there's also this issue that some are probably in the valley of indecision, knowing not quite whether they should commit themselves to you or not. Lord, I pray that you'll give them the courage to take that step and say, yes, Lord, I want to be yours. Please save me. And to all of us, I invite God's blessings on us. And thank you, Lord, for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for being with us. And please remember to pray. <laughs>